passage, an important question is phrased. And I think it's a question that you and I need to know for sure down in our hearts what the answer is. Matthew 21, 1 through 11. When they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find an ass tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on an ass, on a colt, the foal of an ass. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the ass and the colt and put their garments on them, and he sat their own. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred saying, Who is this? Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Who is this? Let's pray together. Father, as we come, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for answering the question, who is he? So plainly. And if we only have faith, we can see he is the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. The one who brought salvation and whom you raised from the dead. We worship you now. Reveal yourself even more fully to us in the coming moments, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you are old enough to remember watching The Lone Ranger? Black and white. What's the question that gets asked at the end of every show when The Lone Ranger is riding off into the sunset, someone whose life he has just saved will invariably turn to someone nearby and ask, who was that masked man? And the answer is, that was the Lone Ranger. And it goes into the William Tell Overture. And then you hear echoing in the distance, hi-ho, silver, away. And then the William Tell Overture would drown out the fading hoofbeats. And naturally, when someone who goes around doing good, saving folks' lives, you want to know who they are. And one of the interesting things about the New Testament is if you pick it up and start reading it, how often the question of Jesus' identity arises. Even his own disciples often wonder who he is. And other prominent individuals had arisen in that day, some presenting unique claims or manifesting some special quality or ability. And soon, though, they're seen in their true light and they figure out they're a fake, they're a fraud. But with Jesus, it was different because from the beginning of his earthly life and ministry to the end, he is always arousing curiosity. He always has people asking questions about him. And the question they ask most often is, who is this man? Who is this? His identity is a puzzle to them. He's, he's kind of like them in many ways, and yet somehow he's vastly different. He defies all attempts to, of classification. He is the 
champion of the underprivileged, and yet he can confound the wisest. At his death, people are still left shaking their heads and wondering as to his true identity. Who is this? It's asked by everybody, by the scribes and Pharisees. Who is this that forgiveth sins? By King Herod, who is this of whom I hear such things? It's asked by representatives of politics. Who art thou? Art thou the king of the Jews? It's asked by the religious leaders at the trial of Jesus. Art thou the son of the blessed? And it's the same today. When the teaching of Jesus comes into opposition, comes into conflict with conflict with the direction we're headed in today, people ask, who is this? What authority does he have? When the ethical teachings of Jesus are applied to our lifestyle and relationships, people want to know, who is this? And when the teachings of Jesus are brought to bear upon the shallow platitudes and understanding of religion today, people want to know, who is this? Where is his authority? Who gives him the, the justification to say and do such things? And he knew the question of his identity was always going to be on people's lips. And he wanted to know some of the conclusions that they were arriving at. And so one day he turned to his apostles and said, Who do men say that I am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist risen from the dead. Others say Elias. Some say one of the prophets. But Jesus pressed further and said, Who do you say that I am? Because that's, that's what really counts. That's where... That's where the, the water hits the wheel, isn't it? Who do you say that I am? And Peter stepped forward and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the risen God, of the living God. And Jesus told Peter that this truth had not been to reveal to him by flesh and blood, but by a revelation from God himself. So a lot of folks have wondered who Jesus is, but a lot of folks have found that question answered and Peter's great reply revealed to him by God himself, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if you seek that answer to that question from those who've never been enlightened, whose eyes have never been opened, who've never seen the glory of Christ and the face of God, whose hearts have never been regenerated by the Spirit of God, then you'll be disappointed by their answer. Because this answer can only be given by those whose hearts have been set on fire by the, the warmth of his love, who have been eternally changed by his grace, who have been thrilled by his name, and who have known the risen power pulsating through their hearts and veins. Because this man, Jesus, was not just a prophet, as the crowd said. This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. He's not just a prophet. He is the Son of God, the Savior of mankind, the Savior of our souls. He is the answer to the greatest question of life. Who is this? Thou art the Christ. In Easter Sunday, you know, I said that there's no ironclad, scientifically demonstrated proof that this is the Son of God, that he is raised from the dead. If there were, then faith would never be necessary. But I think there's several examples, there's several evidences of the claim of who he is. And I just want to give you a few tonight that Jesus is who he is. If you ever ask that question, if anyone ever asks you that question, who is this man? Jesus is the son of God, the savior of mankind because of three things tonight I want to give you. The first thing is the miracle 
of the Bible. Have you ever thought about the miracle of Scripture? The miracle of the existence of the Bible itself. This existence cannot be explained away in simple human terms. You cannot explain away the miraculous elements contained in Scriptures. They declare that they were given by the inspiration of God and that this inspiration came upon men as they were given utterance by the Holy Spirit. Thousands of years before Jesus, men like David and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel prophesied about the coming of the Messiah and gave specific details of his birth and life and even of his death thousands of years before Jesus came. Joel even prophesied Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit recorded in Acts 2, hundreds of years before it happened. How do you explain in human terms all of these prophecies of the Old Testament being fulfilled by Jesus in the New Testament? How do you explain in human terms that the Bible has been preserved all down through hundreds of years Centuries, it's been preserved from the wrath of ungodly men, from the fury of hell, from the flames to which it had been committed time and time again. Manuscripts and fragments translated by early scribes who gave their lives to the task have survived down to this day. And when you consider the sacrifices of those who painstakingly translated it for us, John Wycliffe was persecuted for helping translate the Bible into English. William Tyndale was strangled and burned at the stake for his part. The Word of God has to be central in our preaching. One of the important tenets of the Baptist faith is that we have free and open access to read and study and interpret the Bible for ourselves. And for hundreds of years, that was not possible. It is a miracle. When you consider... How many men are responsible for 66 books? How many hundreds of years it's covered? And the fact that the message is unified, it's, it is one and the same from cover to cover. It was banned and burned and translators killed, but it has emerged as still today the number one bestseller, the most influential book ever written. Men and women have died and continue to die that this message might spread. People don't die for something that's fake, for an invention, for a fairy tale, or for a legend. I've never known anybody who died for the works of Homer or Milton or Shakespeare. But men and women have died for the preservation and the promotion of the Bible as the Word of God. And so this is the first piece of evidence that Jesus is who he is because this Bible testifies to it. The second piece of evidence is the miracle of the church today. The church today is in the case of the Bible. The fury and onslaught of hell have lashed against the bulwarks of the faith. And Jesus foretold it wouldn't be long before the ferocious forces were unleashed. And Satan, through his agency of evil men, sought to strangle the church in her infancy. But John, I couldn't help think when y'all are talking about churches being limited to 25 people, that might just backfire on Castro and on the government because instead of having a bunch of mega churches, they're going to have hundreds and thousands of small churches spread all over. 
the country of Cuba. And that's what happened in the early church. Every time they tried to squash it, every time they tried to stop it, I think of, I think of what happens when you try to put your thumb on a drop of mercury. They don't, they don't let you play with mercury anymore because of mercury poisoning, but I was in school. They let us have mercury, and, and you tried to put your thumb on it. What would happen to it? They just scatter into a thousand droplets. And that's what happened when they tried to crush the church. It just scattered everywhere. And that's what's going to happen in Cuba, too. There was an attempt to stamp out the church in the Middle Ages during the Reformation. Hundreds died at the stake. Who is this? Ask Stephen as the stones are breaking the bones in his body. And he says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Ask the early Christian martyrs as they endured unspeakable atrocities under Nero. And they would say, this is Jesus. To modern day Coptic Christians who were beheaded by ISIS just a few months ago. And they would say, this is Jesus, the son of the living God. You can't stop it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. It is a miracle that the church has survived. After 20 centuries of scorn and criticism and persecution, I think the presence of the church in the 21st century today is a substantial piece of evidence that Jesus Christ is who he is, said he was, the Son of God. So you have the Bible, you have the church, and third and finally, you have transformed lives today. An undeniable piece of evidence for Christ and faith in him. And you can, you know, if you want to, you can debate the trustworthiness of the Bible. I'm not interested in debating it. You may find some criticism of the church as an institution, but you can never find any evidence against a godly life, and you can't deny it. You remember my screensaver on my computer for many years? The greatest argument for Christianity is a transformed life. The greatest argument for Christianity is a transformed life. Multitudes were amazed when they saw the disciples of Jesus who had been timid and afraid and uneducated, speaking with power and boldness and authority that was not of this world. First century pagans could not believe that many of their former friends were now giving up their old habits and ways and were suffering and willing to die so courageously for Jesus. It was the changed lives of men and women that won the greatest amount of converts to Christianity in those early days. And if, an, if evangelism is slowing down today, it's because this world can't tell enough difference in our lives that we're supposed to reveal when we become followers of Jesus Christ. The ancient world was turned upside down when Saul of Tarsus, one of the most educated brightest men of his day on the road to Damascus was transformed from a proud Pharisee doing the work of Judaism, persecuting the church into an obedient servant and disciple of Jesus Christ. And all down through the centuries, Jesus has been transforming human lives from every race and culture and social class and walk of life, and some have been the most despicable characters the world has ever seen. 
beyond all human aid, transformed by the reception of Jesus into their lives. And I bet you know some just like that. Somebody whom you had given up on were miraculously and gloriously saved. And you saw a dramatic transformation take place in their lives. How do you explain that? It's only by Jesus, the miracle that changed and transformed lives. So maybe you have a planned out future and you're presently enjoying a relatively happy life. But Jesus has come into your has come into your life and crossed your path and you've been confronted with the challenges of his message and his claims. And maybe you see him as a threat to the, the routine, the, the comfortable rut that you have settled into. And you are afraid to ask, who is this who is disrupting everything in my life? Thousands have gone before you and been in that position. And all those who have yielded to his claims have been transformed from selfish aspiration and ambition to unselfish and fruitful service to the one who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's who this is. If you look at the miracle of the Bible and the miracle of the church and the miracle of transformed lives, something has to convince you that this is the one who demands a response to the most important question of all. Who is this? This is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then what does that mean? That means he can forgive my sins and be the Lord and Savior of my life. Let's bow together. God, we believe in who you are. We know who you are. It's not just the Bible and the church and transformed lives that we, that we believe. We, we have also seen so many things that point to you that not only did you create this world and, and create us and place us in it, but you also have a purpose for us and you desire a relationship with us. And that's possible when our sins are forgiven and cleansed and we are reconciled once more to you. We need you, God. We believe you are the Christ. And so rule and reign in our hearts and lives this day. In Jesus' name, amen.